0: well God bless you for venturing out this evening and for spending a little time together as we uh, get into God's word for uh, f- just a few minutes I I've got a few scriptures that I want to go over uh, kind of my thoughts if you recall were we were talking about um, uh, kind of the key thoughts heading into this uh, this day today we're, we last when, this went past Wednesday. We kind of talked about those things that would be um, uh, kind of clarification for us, clarifying what you know the Lord's you know, did in uh, celebrating the Seder meal, and so we kind of went back over all of that, and they've kind of brought some clarification, and uh, we talked on, on Sunday. A little bit about, you know, just the idea of what was the expectation. What should your expectation and my expectation be regarding uh, a relationship with God, and uh, and especially when we looked uh, forward as he entered into Jerusalem. We talked about that, and uh, tonight we're talking about a little bit. Just it's not we're gonna we're not gonna camp on this horrible devastation thought, but I I just want to take us back just in our mind's eye to think a little bit about what it might have been like for the. You know, disciples, the followers, uh, the men and women that had been following Jesus, and what that might have been like um, as they watched the one that they've been following, the one that they believed to be, that was, they were believing correctly, as Messiah. And what that must have been like for them to experience how devastating, and that's why that word was on my mind, was how devastating that must have been to watch him suffer and die, and then to think, okay, so what was this all about? I mean, I would have been just totally perplexed, you know. Wow, that was a, I would have just thought, man, that was a crazy few years, and tried to figure out what, now what do we do? You know, what, what, what happens next, you know? Uh, it's kind of just regular people thinking, I know, but I think they were regular people, just like you and me, and they would have been kind of stymied a bit, like, oh, where does this lead? And so um, it all seemed, I think, when I thought about it, for them, maybe a bit hopeless at that point. You know, like, what, what is this, what, what, where do we go from here uh, as they watch Jesus die on the cross? and. And Luke, I'm just going to re- go over these. I'm going to move through them quickly because we want to get to c- communion. So I'm going to just do light exposition, but very brief. I'm, I'll cite the scriptures. You can maybe jot them down, read through them now, or read through them later. Luke 23 in verse 44 is where we're going to pick it up. It says, now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." Having said this, he breathed his last. Verse forty-seven. So, when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, "Certainly this was a righteous man." And the whole crowd who came together to that sight, seeing what had happened, what had been done, beat their their chest, beat their breasts, and and returned. Verse forty nine, and this is one of the ones that I thought was most significant to our conversation this evening. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. For them, there was the f- for them. Yeah, I've got them dimmed. For I've just got them down. You, you can turn up the 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 can lights if you don't mind. So that way, they, the people that really want to read along that don't have it on their phones, there you go. How's that? You guys feel better? Oh, my goodness. I thought you could all just see with your night vision goggles that you were wearing. But, but all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So I'm thinking for them, they're kind of out there just, you know, watching this happen And really probably feeling quite victimized by the whole thing and fearful. What if they did this to our leader, what will they be doing to us? They're going to be coming after us. And I really believe that that was part of their their conviction. So I've kind of got a little string of pearls we're going to put together from some scriptures that kind of create a full thought, I believe, uh, in this idea of what was happening. What seemed to be so devastating, I think, on a, ver- on a very base human level, it seemed very devastating, fairly hopeless. Uh, but from a spiritual perspective um, and from an internal perspective was certainly God's greatest victory was what the cross represents. You see, I've found within Christendom, which would include a lot of people that may not even know God, truthfully. They, may not, they, they would talk about God, but may not actually know God, okay? But would say that they know about God, so they think they're Christian. But that doesn't make you a Christian. You only can become a Christian if you've opened your life up to the Lord and been born again. That's what the Bible says. So that's what I'm talking about from Christian, a, a true Christian perspective. But that, that greatest victory that was wrought on the cross... And I found that within Christendom as a whole, or within uh, even our world today, to talk about the cross, to talk about the shed blood, and to talk about your sin and my sin, our sin, people don't ever want to talk about it. Churches don't talk about it anymore. I mean, supposedly Christian churches, I don't know what they're talking about, because I don't go there. I don't plan to go there. I'm not going to waste my time. Because I think that would be a waste of time. If you're not talking about what, what, what's the centric theme of the whole globe, of what matters in life for all of humanity, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it was his shed blood that saved me from my sin, which caused me separation from God. That's reality. That's the reality of the whole message. And so I want to talk about that a little bit, because I think sometimes that gets lost in the shadows. So I want to read this out of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, and this is the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. And this is one of our first as we're looking, watching these things at a distance, right? We're standing by, we're watching, and now the wheels start turning as this starts to unfold through scripture over time. And I, brethren, in verse one of chapter two of First Corinthians, brethren, Paul writing here, says, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is having been, this this is right on the backside of being at Mars Hill, okay, where he gave one of the most eloquent messages ever. But now as he's leaving there and not seeing really a lot of conversion, not really seeing a lot of transformation, no church was really planted, still a powerful message and, and valid for sure. But now he gets to Corinth and this is what, what, what he writes back to remind them. When I got there, this is what I talked about. Because this is what really matters. He said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, speaking of the cross. it was, I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling and my speech and my preaching... We're not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so I really believe this idea of the preaching of the message. You and I have a message. Our lives should preach the message, and our words should proclaim that message, right? That should be part of who we are as people, as followers of Jesus Christ. But he talks about the message being centrally connected to the cross, to that that by which you have a message to share. So in essence, where as we go along, the the cross really not only is the power of God, but we're going to also find in 1 Corinthians, back in the first chapter, in the 17th verse, it says, for Christ did not send me, and he's Paul's speaking, to baptize. He says, that wasn't what, I didn't come just to dunk people in water and say, oh, now you're a convert or something. That, he, that wasn't what he came for. This is what he said. He says, I, I came for this one reason, but to preach, to proclaim the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. It's not, We're not believing in this great idea or persuaded by this wisdom that's there. We're persuaded by what Jesus did on the cross for us. Read verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. We have a message. Not only are we to proclaim something, but we have the message. And the message is good news. But it involves the cross and it involves his shed blood. And it in, and, and in effect, this is what cleansed our lives of sin. And so, we, as Christians, you know, the thought of avoidance of these topics seems foolish to me. It doesn't make any sense. And yet, people around us would want, well, that kind of seems like a bloody religion. Yep. I hear this kind of stuff all the time. You know, well, that's just a bloody religion. Well, I... I suppose, but the whole thing is life is carried in the blood. That's where your life is. That's where my life is. It's in our blood as we go on. So now we've seen that the power is is within the cross, the the message that we have, that good news, and the message is connected to the cross. The fourth thing here is out of Galatians 6. Galatians 6. Again, we're just stringing this thought together because to me, if we walk away from here this evening, without any connection to the cross, to the shed blood, to the, the redemption of our sin, that we, we, have not, we have not really come to the Lord's table then. Because that's really what is centric to our faith. And that's what's connected to the table that we celebrate, right? So as we go on, Galatians 6, verse 14 says, but God forbid, Paul again speaking, that I should boast. So now not only do we have the power that's not in and of ourselves, but is in the power of, of, of the cross. Not only do we have that, but we, we, we also have this message, this good news. And now we are to have something to boast in in this. He it says, except, he says, that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So what he's saying there is the only transforming power, the only thing that can transform any person, when he said circumcision and uncircumcision, he's talking about Jew and Gentile, which encompasses all the people groups of the world. That's all of humanity. So that's what he's saying. No human has any transformation apart from the cross itself and the understanding and acceptance of what was done for you individually, what was done for me individually on the cross of Jesus Christ, that my sin and your sin were taken away. And so these are the benefits. This is all like part of this giant benefit package that we get and what our message is and what our hope is in. So what looks so hopeless, you know, and, and obviously we're going to celebrate, you know, in a couple of days, you know, the, 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 the real revelation of, of who Jesus is as the resurrected Savior for sure. But so we can see that we have this boast and because it is the only thing that really can transform a person's life. The shed blood, the finished work of the cross and, and our accepting that through um, really being willing to turn away from, to repent and go and begin to follow God. This leads and wide opens the door for all of us uh, to be, have a transformed life. In Ephesians 2, Verse eleven, he says. Therefore, again, Paul speaking here, he says. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, so those who are not part of uh, the Jewish faith, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made uh, in the made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's all of humanity apart from what God has done for them. Now, the Jewish people had been delivered the oracles of God. They'd been given the, 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 the whole Old Testament. They'd been entrusted with this. They had some connection and identity in connection with God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ The only way we have access and relationship with God is because we are accepting what we talked about. Remember, on Wednesday evening, those of you who are here, we talked about the blood being put on the doorposts and the lentil. This is what's on our hearts. It's a figurative idea. It's a concept. It's a conceptual truth that we can see. It's a word picture painted for us to see that I need to appropriate that on my heart so that I know I'm covered by, and I'm forgiven, and that I'm saved from what was when we know, because those of us who recently watched the Ten Commandments, which I did recently watch it, um, but, uh, you know, the angel of death, as it circles around, right? I don't think it really looks like a purplish fog, but I don't know. I've not seen that yet, but you get the idea of what was happening. It, It passed over the people who had the blood on the doorposts and lintel of their, of their lives. And the same is true for us. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace and what he did for us. Has, and has, Who has made both one, in verse 14, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments "...contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, the the friction, the war, the separation. And And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near, both Jews and Gentiles." We're hearing the message, and we're hearing the message tonight. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. This is, And there you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. By, through him, Jesus Christ, the Son, we have access by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. All three connected right there, all at work. So now we see he makes peace between us and God. You see, I didn't have peace. You didn't have peace. We didn't have peace prior to understanding God's grace and the sacrifice of the cross. We, we didn't understand. We didn't have any peace with God. We were at, at, at distance. We were, there, there was no connection, really. The only way was because of what he did. And again, it was his shed blood uh, on the cross. And then this uh, next one is out of Colossians 1. If you get to Colossians, we'll do a couple out of there. So Colossians 1.20 and by him Jesus to reconcile all things to himself by him speaking of Jesus whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross so again i would say to those of you that that have heard just like i have heard and to those who would be listening that Are thinking or have said these things that man? It's just it's just yucky. It's a bloody religion. It just doesn't seem yeah. But it's the blood that gives life. He became sin for us. He took on your sin, my sin, upon himself, and it was crucified. And his shed blood, he died on the cross for you and for me. This is what this day, what we're reflecting back on, what he did for us. And man, we would be amiss to not grasp that as as much as we can. The next one out of Colossians is uh, the second chapter, the 13th verse and 14th verse. It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He has made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses. So, trespasses basically is your, your sin, that He's forgiven all of your sin and says that we were dead prior to that because of our trespasses, right? We have no access to God. How do I, how do I go to a perfect, righteous God and stand before Him and say, I should have total access into your kingdom. By what? By what? Sta- that's, there's none. And I, this is the thing. It's not about rules and regulations. It's, Christianity is not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. That is a misconception and a trickery of the enemy. It is not about that. It is about understanding that God loves you and gave his life for you. For God to so love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever shall believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That That's the gift of God to you because he loves you. He's for you. He went to the furthest extent to have this relationship with you. And he just wants you to spend all eternity with him, both presently and out in per- perpetuity. And so that's his, his design. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. This is the law. The handwriting of the requirements was: Jim should not do this, but he did. Jim should have not done that. Oh, but he did. Jim should have not said that, but he did. You know, this my list is extensive, right? Because I did, and I am. <laughs> you right? But 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 what God did for me is said. Okay, but if you're willing to accept me into your life, all of that goes away. Past, present, and future sin is done away with on the cross. Past, present, and future, it's done away with. You're forgiven. We should be walking around with these perpetual grins that are like giant because we've been forgiven. Man, I know what a mess I am without God. And I know when he stepped into my life what, what, what happened and like, man, I, the weight of that sin, the, the guilt and the shame and the just yuckiness of all of that that was just, it's, it's, it's so oppressive. Look around our world today. Does it make you wonder when you know this truth why it's so like it is? You know, we shouldn't really wonder. It's, it's oppressed because it's oppressed because of sin. And then the the trickier of the enemy is, well, don't talk about sin. That just offends people. So be it. I would rather offend someone and have them open their hearts to God. I would rather do that than coddle the sin and watch them perish. I won't be a part of it. And you shouldn't be a part of it as a Christian. We shouldn't be a part of it as God's people. We should just speak truth and love, love people, hate sin, and speak the truth, man. That's what our charter really is. So it's all been wiped away. He's made peace. There's forgiveness. There's new life. I want to kind of wrap some of these, tie this. We're going to get our clasp on our little string of pearls here, okay? So these couple of verses are going to kind of hook the clasp together. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. Verse 23, read this out loud with me. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God everybody. All means all, and that's all of us, (laughs) right? It's all of fallen. sure. We're all in the same boat, all of humanity. We need help. We need a Savior, and Jesus is it. He met the the righteous standard, and the requirements are fulfilled in him. Look, most of these scriptures that we're reading are are from Paul. Paul. Paul penned these. As a matter of fact, outside of what we read in Luke, these are, these are Paul's writings. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. who was probably most... We believe that he was a, a member of the Sanhedrin. So he was part of the governing rulers of, of, of the nation of Israel as far as uh, religious practice goes. An attorney, basically, of religious practice. That was what his caliper of, of vantage point was. And he spent his whole life prior to meeting, before he met Jesus Christ, he spent his whole life trying to keep everything just so so that he would be accepted by God. He washed his hands a certain way. He kept his robe from bumping up against sinners like us. He was very meticulous about all this stuff, and he would say of himself, as far as the law, blameless. That's what he would say of himself. Now, woohoo, you know, from a very practical that had nothing to do with what was going on up here, right? <laughs> this is all of our problems, you know. But uh, well, I don't want to do that too often. But people are watching, thinking, like, "Yeah, work." Uh, but uh, you know what I'm saying, right? The idea of he spent his whole life driven by this idea of everything he did, he wanted to please God. He was driven by that, and only to find out that all of those efforts were an entire waste as far as pleasing God goes. When all he had to do was meet Jesus on the road to Damascus and realize that all of those things were futile efforts. Do you know how if you are that passionate and your life is so absorbed that, that way and then to realize that all of that was wrong? That is a rude awakening. Like, I have been doing all of this and all of this was literally A waste. Look, at this guy didn't have one degree. This guy had, he went to the best training in Judaism could offer. He had mastered all of the accolades that you could ever get and and had all of the the placards on the wall to prove it, right? That that was who he was. And he says of this himself that that was rubbish. He calls it a pile of cow poop. A dung heap, that's literally what he says. He says, I count this all as loss. It was nothing compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I have the privilege of being image bearers of God as well. We are made in the similitude or the likeness. We are image bearers. This is why Satan hates you and hates humanity because we are image bearers. And he wants to be worshiped. But we, we bear the image of the one that is to be worshiped, right? That's our dad. We look like dad, you know, in that sense. We represent dad in that sense. And so when we see this, we look at this, it peels back. It makes a lot more sense when we see, man, all of sin. But he says in verse 24 of Romans 3, he says, being justified, just as if I'd never done it, freely by his grace, unmerited love and favor, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation basically is a, God's got a righteous standard, and the only way to fulfill the righteous standard is a sacrifice that would be acceptable to fulfill that righteous standard. Jesus is our righteous standard that fulfilled the obligation of the debt that would need to be paid basically that's the short version through faith to demonstrate his righteousness it's not to see look at did you hear that it's not to demonstrate your righteousness see paul was trying to present to god this is my righteousness i don't do this i do do that i take I, this is my and christianity falls prey to this it's called legalism now there's a lot I don't do. Now I don't know. I'm just going to make sure you know that. I, you see, last <laughs> night, last night, I I have had real problems with alcohol in my lifetime. Okay, not in any recent lifetime, but in another lifetime, I had a lot of problems with that. I don't. This stuff doesn't touch my lips, and that did not touch my lips. By the way, last night, I got it, and I just. And I had my, I went along with the flow of what was going on, but I'm not condemning anyone else. I'm just saying for me, I mean, I got it like this far, and I could smell the alcohol. It's like, oh man, this is a rough deal, you know? Because see, I know who I am, and I have been somebody I would never ever want to be again. And I don't say that in a condemning way, and I don't say that I'm not righteous because of that. I'm just saying for me, I just man, I gotta whew, stay clear, you know, of that kind of thing. But I don't know too sure why. I just want you to know that. How's that? Because his forbearance, God's forbearance, uh, the forbearance of God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. Again, this is about God's righteousness, that he might, this is God, Jesus, might be the justifier. God would be the justifier and the one who, of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So you and I are justified now, We're is just as if we had never sinned, which is almost inconceivable to me because I know a lot of you, but no, 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 because I know, no, because I know me, right? Because I know me, and I know that that's just kind of hard to, to grasp, but God is a justifier. He makes it, us, you and I, righteous before him. I mean, when I read the scriptures and I read where it says, and, and God sees you blameless, I think, man, I just, I can't, it's so hard for me to wrap my head. I believe by faith that that's true. But it's so hard for me to wrap my head around that, that God really looks at me that way. Except for when I look at my little grandkids, then I kind of understand. Because I always find them pretty, pretty blameless. Their parents don't, but I do. <laughs> that one's for you, Everett. Um, Romans uh, 5, 6 through 11. This is the, now, so we got the one side of the clasp. Now there's the clasp that we're going to hook into this, okay? For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 6, 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in other words, we had no way to save ourselves. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. So now we're talking about his death. It was sacrificial. It was his blood. It was on the cross. It was gruesome. It was, it was, it's to this day known as one of the most horrific ways to die. Largely, it's through suff- suffocation, largely. That's, that's what happens. You, you can't keep yourself, you keep pushing your legs up. This is why they came and they snapped the legs. But Jesus gave up, he gave up his own life. He, he, he chose to do this. He, it was a setup with the, the Sanhedrin. All this. He chose to do this. Jesus came for this reason. He was born into this world to die for you and to die for me. To give us life. This was God's plan. It wasn't uh, a, an extra, oh gosh, who would have thunk it man went and sinned and now somebody's got to go and do something. No, God designed this from the very beginning to prove out to all of the realm of creation and, and the satanic forces who rebelled against him to prove out to them that he is good. It's called the meta-narrative. That's that's the big picture of, of, the, of the of the Bible. The meta-narrative is that, that God is intrinsically good and worthy of our worship. And that's the trial zone that we go through is when you're in a difficult spot, this is all of the satanic forces in the world around is watching you and me to see, how am I going to deal with that? Remember what Job's wife said? Just curse God and die, man. You know what I mean? You know, the idea is that idea of just... You know, just go against God and get this over with, right? But when we turn and we say, you know what? I don't understand why all of this has happened. And this is what Job did. I don't know. He told all friends, I don't know why this is happening. But I'm not going to blame God. Shouldn't we accept both the good times and the difficult times? I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Shouldn't we accept them? Both are from the hand of God. Shouldn't we accept them? You know, one day we're going to walk off the face of this earth and into eternity, and it isn't going to matter. We're going to be so excited just to be there because you've got a gift that was given to you and given to me. If you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you're willing to talk about the reality of sin, if you're willing to talk about the reality of the shed blood, if you're willing to talk about the reality of the crucifixion and the cross, and if you're willing to talk about the atoning death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, if you're willing to accept that and appropriate that blood on the doorpost and lintel of your heart, you have been given then this gift of everlasting life. It's free. It's a free gift. God just wants to spare you eternal separation from him. That's all he wants to do. For scarcely a righteous man, in verse 7, will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. it's as if you and I going to some place where it's just such extreme poverty and the people are just living in such horrible conditions, so destitute and so, so bad. And us looking at that and saying, you know what? If I can give my life so that they can have an entirely different life, it's that kind of, like, most of us still wouldn't do it. we just try and find the, get a ticket and fly out of there. You know what I mean? That would be what most of us do. do. But, but that's the reality of what Jesus has done for all of humanity, stepping out of eternity into space and time and giving his life for us, living in the frame like you and I. Much more than having now been justified, in verse 9, by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, with, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Reconciliation is that I'm made right, my debt's been paid, it's been reconciled. I owe nothing. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished to telescope. This is what he was saying. It's like a it's like a a deed to a property. It's that kind of payment has been made in full. It's sealed. It's stamped. It's done. Done. So for us tonight, I think the thought might be that we can, if we can just accept what he has done for us in a fresh, just fresh moment tonight and just say, you know what, Lord? I want to just, in, a, in my own heart, just acknowledge how, how thankful I am for what you've done for me and receive that into your life in a fresh way and just start off this, this, this weekend as we're heading toward the Resurrection Sunday coming, you know, that it, it might be just do our hearts and our lives, our beings well for that, to just think through that. I'm gonna ask if they would just go ahead and we're gonna kill these lights, just the lights. we're gonna shut those down And then we're going to see if we could uh, worship just for a moment together. And while we worship, um, I have communion right here. And you'll see this uh, there's the cross or the the crown of thorns, and then there's nails here that just remind us of, of what they did with Jesus, how they pushed the crown of thorns into his head that was bleeding, and they mocked him and made fun. But he willingly accepted all of this. For you and for me. All the mocking, all the jeering, all of the everything, all of the shame that went with all of the hum, hum, just horribleness that goes along with that. He willingly did that for you and for me. And this is just here for, for today for, as a reminder of what went on 2,000 years ago. And, and what he had done for us. And so, as you are ready to, we're going to be worshiping. If you could just come up, grab your your communion here. And remember, I've mentioned before, it's very important that you open the little thin piece first and get the wafer out. It's easy to spill on yourself otherwise. I'm sorry to have to keep reminding you, but I feel like it's best because I don't want you to stain your clothes. So. Mm-hmm. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for your love and your kindness. And for those who might be here and those who might listen in now and out in the future, um, that uh, what we've been talking about is very simple in that Jesus has already done for you what you can never, ever do for yourself, and that is create a way for you to have access to God the Father. And you don't have to really do anything except except what he has done for you. And that happens through prayer. That happens through moments like this where you simply pray and acknowledge that you sin, you fail, you, you don't live up to the perfect righteous standard of who God is. And because we don't, we need to be cleansed and forgiven. And it's funny how innately we know that, how we just know we need that. And it's a simple prayer of asking Jesus to forgive you of those sins. And as you ask him to forgive you, to invite him then into your heart and just say, Jesus, I ask you that you forgive me of my sin I want to ask that you would come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I thank you for the gift of everlasting life, and I want to ask that you would fill me with your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, and new life will have begun for you. It's that simple of a prayer of just inviting Jesus into your heart, into your life. And so... Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Jim Stewart. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Jim's ministry by visiting calvarychapelkc.com.